You guys, hi, how's it going? I feel like it's been a long time since I've done a, a like a usual weekly build episode, and it hasn't. It's only been a week, but there's been so much else going on in the channel, as you well know. Um, and so I'm so excited to just get back to the bread and butter today and do um, another build. So anyway, welcome to D&D Optimized. This is the place where we like to take a look at a character, one or maybe two, do a deep dive on them for Dungeons & Dragons 5e, and um, crunch numbers and theory craft and find synergies and ultimately just try to create powerful, awesome, fun characters to play. Um, so if you uh, enjoy character creation in Dungeons and Dragons almost as much as you enjoy playing the actual game, then welcome home. And we are so happy to have you. My name is Colby and I will be your host. The channel has been returned to me after a, a brief hiatus trapped in the dungeon of uh, my, my dungeon mistress. Anyway, happy to have you, welcome. So I have a few things that I need to mention before we jump in today. Um, first of all, I apologize for not being able to respond to all of the comments that I've been getting in the videos lately. I've kind of recently realized that um, just looking at the comments that YouTube highlights for me um, does not actually show me all of the comments that are being made in the videos. And um, especially after a couple of days go by after I've posted something and so I've kind of gone back to a couple of videos from a few weeks ago and realized, oh man, there's all these comments here that I haven't even seen and didn't even know were there. And the reality is I'm probably not gonna be able to get to all of the comments. And, and I feel bad for that because I, I do like interacting with you guys and I don't want you to think that I'm not hearing you or ignoring you. I do my best to read them all, but thank you for understanding and patience um, if, if I'm not getting to, to something that you've asked about. Uh, second announcement. Um, do be aware that um, in every episode I like to post uh, spreadsheets and graphs and things showing you what the numbers look like for this particular build and also comparing them to other, other builds with the same sort of role in game. Um, a lot of people don't realize that, I think. You look in the video description and you'll see links to the math and the graphs and um, hopefully that's a useful tool for you. Be aware of our subreddit. Um, we're building a nice little community there and it's been a great way to sort of for people to interact with each other. Um, I do try to read uh, all of the threads there. I don't get to all of them as far as comments go. Um, but I, I love to see all of the interaction and people sort of bouncing ideas off of each other and looking for feedback and stuff, which is awesome. Let's keep that up. I now have apparently a TikTok account. Um, thanks largely to Preston who started it for me and then uh, Mr. Rogers who's kind of managing it now. Um, so be on the lookout for that and thanks for following and uh, liking the videos and stuff. And then finally, I have a favor to ask of you guys. So as many of you know, I am a big fan of taking a custom lineage <laughs> race and calling myself a custom elf or a half elf and thereby qualifying uh, my character for an elven accuracy feat. I don't do it in every build. I've done it in a lot, particularly obviously since Tasha's came out. Um, I know that some of you very loudly uh, think that this is not permissible uh, according to rules as written, and I think you have a valid argument. It is something that we allow at our table. It is something that 
as far as I can tell, the D&D community is very divided on. Um, and also, as far as I know, Wizards of the Coast has not given an official response on yet. Here's what I'm asking, if you guys would be so kind. Uh, take a moment and send a tweet to Jeremy Crawford and ask him, you know, can, uh, can the custom lineage uh, racial, you know, race or racial option or whatever qualify me for feats with racial prerequisites, however you want to word that, right? I'm hoping that we can get an official response from Wizards and tell you what, if he responds and says, no, that's not as, you know, not as intended, whatever, I will be happy to eat crow and, you know, redact all of my previous, <laughs> I'm not going to take the videos down, but I'll, I'll make a full admission of, uh, of guilt and overreach. Um, I'm personally pretty confident that um, it's just a matter of time before they unshackle uh, feats from racial prerequisites, but again, I could be wrong, and ultimately, I just want to know. I just want an answer, right? So we don't have to keep having this debate uh, in the comments, and um, and and frankly, for my own knowledge and well-being, you know, going forward, creating builds, um, creating characters that I'm actually going to end up playing in game, all those kinds of things. So maybe if we can get enough people bugging him about it, he'll actually give us a, a ruling and. Uh, we can put the issue to rest. Um, okay, on to the episode. As many of you know, I am a big fan of Brandon Sanderson's books. Um, he might be my, my favorite contemporary fantasy author. Um, I suppose, along with Patrick Rothfuss and George R. R. Martin, um, but he has the the significant advantage of uh, being a very prolific writer who releases several books a year as opposed to one book every several years uh, like those other two favorites. Um, I think of all of his books, the Stormlight Archive is his best series. And in fact, I think he would agree and he's gone on record as, as saying as much. Um, and, and so I've had a lot of people request builds based on um, fantasy characters or, you know, f fictional characters, whether from TV or, you know, movies or books and things like that. And obviously, thus far, I've uh, largely refrained from doing something like that um, for my own personal reasons, which maybe I'll get to in the final thoughts uh, of this particular episode. Um, needless to say, it's not something that I've done yet. However, um, the demand has increased it seems like of late. In fact, we even talked about it uh, yesterday in the um, in the Q and A video uh, that we had a lot of fun putting together for you guys. Um, and the the most commonly requested, uh, you know, make a character based on something from on a, on a character from fiction. Do an episode on a character from fiction. Uh, the most common has been from the Stormlight Archive, and it happens to coincide with the character um, who I've sort of been most interested in trying to replicate in Dungeons & Dragons, namely Kaladin, Stormblessed, um, who is sort of the main character in the series, at least one of the main characters, I would say basically the main character. Um, so that's what we're going to do today, episode 31, uh, Kaladin, Stormblessed. Um, now, if you haven't read the books yet, I would ask that you indulge me and I thank you for doing so. 
you might not be interested, you might not be aware of who this character is, and um, let me just say that I think the character concept is a pretty interesting one, and we actually, the results are, um, are surprising to me, they're, they're good. Um, the character, despite the constraints we put on ourselves, um, ends up being pretty powerful, and I think would be fun to play in-game. Um, so I hope that you still enjoy and will be willing to, to give this a try. Um, for everybody else who is a fan of the books and potentially really excited about this, um, I guess you're welcome. Uh, but know that there are um, some major spoilers, at least up through book two, the end of book two of the Stormlight Archive in what I'm going to talk about today, and even some minor spoilers through the end of book four, which is the most recent in the series. Um, so you've, you've had that warning, um, and we can proceed. The challenge with trying to force a character that exists outside of Dungeons and Dragons to sort of conform to the rules of the game, right, is that it often feels like you're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole to me. Um, that problem is exacerbated by the fact that I'm not, I'm not super interested in just making a character that fits a theme as those who have been watching for a while know, right? Um, I also want to make, the, make sure that they're really powerful, right? So, so working with self-imposed restrictions is great, so long as the character can both be on point thematically, but also be at least viable, if not you know, more than viable and, and better than average, as far as how they perform in-game, in combat, uh, of course, especially. Um, so, to that end, I'm going to do something similar today um, to the anti-mage build that I did a couple of weeks ago. I have a checklist of things that uh, Kaladin's character from the book must have, I think, if we're going to try to sort of recreate him in D&D. &D. You know, skills, abilities, spells, powers, that kind of thing. Um, but similar to the Sorcerer with the Magic Touch episode, um, I, I, I don't want to allow um, powers and abilities that the character himself doesn't display in the book, so I'm going to be pretty strict with myself in saying, look, if, if Kaladin, the character Kaladin in the books can't cast Fireball, this character can't cast Fireball, right? Um, but of course, all while also trying to optimize him for fantastic damage, because He's one of the most powerful characters in this world of Roshar that Brandon Sanderson has created, right? So, so just to sort of check off the boxes of things that he should be able to do, to me, is insufficient. Um, because maybe the number one box is he's really awesome and powerful. And so he needs to be that too, right? He needs to be very effective in combat. Um, so... Again, the priority will be get him his abilities first, make sure that we check those boxes, but then optimize uh, his his damage, essentially, uh, in, in combat, in-game. Uh, so here's the checklist. Um, first, as I mentioned, he has to have amazing martial prowess, uh, mostly with the spear. He's notoriously talented fighting with a spear, but um, he should also be able to eventually, at least 
be able to use a, a greatsword as well, I would say. I guess you could say a longsword, but to me, greatsword fits a little better. He needs to be able to fly. Um, sorry, that was number two. He needs to be able to manipulate gravity uh, in several ways. Um, usually by touching a thing and then essentially changing the, the, the way that gravity affects the thing, making it float or shoot or stick to the ground, right? Um, and or being able to make other people fly um, or get stuck, right? So it's sort of gravity manipulation is the way that I would phrase it for those who are unfamiliar with the magic system of this world and lashings and stormlight and all that stuff. Um, he needs to have a, a little uh, fairy-like companion. Um, her name is Syl. And think of her, for those unfamiliar, as almost like a little Tinkerbell. Um, she's a windspren, and she is his companion, and she talks to him, and she doesn't really do much other than interact with him. Um, well, okay, fine. That's debatable. We'll, we'll get into it. But anyway, um, he needs to be able to summon a weapon at will into his hand. Um, he needs to be able to heal himself, uh, not others. That's, that's for different characters in the book. But he can at least heal himself. Um, he needs to be able to, to, to be lit up, to light or glow. That's kind of an important aspect of things that happen when he is sort of using magic uh, in the books, right? Uh, when he's breathing in stormlight and holding stormlight. Um, and, and that's it. That's my list. I'm not going to get into too much into like his personality, what his personality should be like. Um, you know, yes, he's a protector. Yes, he's a leader. That's for you to roleplay. Um, so that's our checklist. Um, just a quick note before we jump into level one. Stay tuned. Uh, at the end of the build, I'm going to go into final thoughts and um, kind of give an alternative to the build that I'm going to come up with now um, that is fairly different. It's more tanky. It's less damage. Um, but I think it would it would work just as well, and you might prefer it uh, to the the one that I'm going to get into. So let's jump into the build. At level one, you know, the biggest challenge that I had is knowing where to start with this character. There were several options, um, but we are actually going to start off with Sorcerer, surprising probably quite a few of you. Uh, it will make sense eventually, just trust me. The main reason that we start with Sorcerer really is because, it, well, as opposed to picking it up later, is because um, Sorcerers are proficient in constitution saving throws, and I really like that. Um, we're, going to, we're going to want that for sure later. Um, so yeah, we're going to start with Sorcerer. Uh, as for race, um, we're going Variant Human. Don't get upset with me. He is a human. And so, what else can I do? I could take a regular human, but why go regular human when you can get a free feat? Um, so for the, our free feat, we are going to take Polearm Master, and that's great for us, super on point. As I mentioned, Kaladin is always fighting with a spear, um, and the Polearm Master feat benefits when you're using a spear or a bunch of other weapons um, to make an attack. You can, as a bonus action, um, make a an attack with sort of the blunt end or the butt of the spear as well it's it's only a d4 of damage instead of um you know the d8 that the spear will be giving us because um side note spears are versatile meaning that you can use them in one hand 
and that's a d6 of damage, or two hands for a d8 of damage. I'm assuming two hands for a d8, that's how Kaladin fights. He doesn't really use a shield um, when he's fighting in the book, so that's what we're gonna do. Anyway, um, Polar Master is fantastic. It has some other benefits as well, um, but uh, for our purposes, the, the most important one is that. You also um, can make an attack of opportunity on someone when they first enter your space, which is nice. It will actually end up giving you a lot of free attacks on, on your enemies. Um, and so yeah, Polar Master. As far as ability scores go, um, I'm assuming point by, as usual, you're going to want to take a, a 15 dexterity plus one. As a variant human, you get a plus one in two ability scores, right? So dexterity plus one for 16, um, charisma of 15 plus one, and then uh, 14 constitution for hit points and uh, your constitution and concentration saving throws. Um, and then whatever else you want in your other ability scores. Equipment. Um, okay, this is a little tough. We're going to be proficient eventually with medium armor and with shields, but Kaladin doesn't really ever use medium armor, or any armor for that matter, uh, or shields in the books, maybe until the very end of book four, um, and in a couple of other rare instances. Um, but instead, he, he's always just wearing a uniform, his Bridge Four uniform, and he fights in that, right? How can you arguably send, you know, create a frontline character and send them into combat um, for melee fighting without a lot of armor? Um, I will admit that this is the, the biggest potential weakness, I think, of this character, is they are a little squishy. Um, let's be aware of that going into this and, and go, go in, you know, with eyes wide open. Um, we're going to find ways to help augment that through some spells and through some other abilities and things, but um, just just be aware. And that's something that we're gonna wanna sort of plan for and um, be careful about. But so as far as equipment goes, really all you need is a spear and you know your other necessities. Um, sorcerer's origin. So at level one, sorcerers get their subclass, their sorcerer's origin. And this is actually another main reason why I wanted to take a level in sorcerer because you can't very well be storm blessed if you're not a storm sorcerer right um, or a tempest cleric or something i guess but it made more sense to to go storm sorcerer for us um, this is so this is perfect thematically um, but also we get a little tempestuous magic feature that's nice um, it lets you fly so check the box uh, it lets you fly 10 feet without taking an opportunity attack when you cast a first level spell so you're not going to be doing that a ton, but it will be kind of nice and cool and also a way to potentially either get you into combat or you know get you safely away from the front lines if need be um, without taking an opportunity attack. Uh, speaking of spells, there are a few um, that we that we really want um, and, and that motivated me to take a, a sorcerer level here as well. So thematically, they're just really great for us. Um, cantrips, first of all. The gust cantrip, um, I think it, it can push things to sort of simulate lashing, you know, and that sort of gravity control that we talked about. Um, the light cantrip is important for us to simulate the way that Kaladin glows when he, when he's holding power, when he breathes in stormlight, right? Um, I 
and you know you'd probably just have to cast it on yourself to really kind of simulate how it, how it works in the book. Um, I really like the dancing lights cantrip for Syl. Um, it lets you create up to four, but it can be just one if you want, uh, sort of glowing orbs, or you could probably flavor it as like a ribbon, like Syl often looks in the, in the books, right? Um, and, you know, you create this light, it dances, it flits around. Um, the, the downside there is it only lasts a minute instead of sort of permanent, as Syl should probably be. But since it's a cantrip, you can kind of just cast it whenever you want, as long as you've got an action free, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I like that for Syl. There's another option that we'll look at as well, though, for Syl. Um, let's see. Yeah, unfortunately, we only get two cantrips. So... Um, Pick your favorites. Uh, but then as far as first level spells that we get as a sorcerer, um, the really important one for me here is Catapult. So the way Catapult works is as an action, you infuse something with Stormlight, essentially. You, you, you touch it and then you essentially make it fly up to 90 feet in a straight line in any direction you choose, as though you had manipulated gravity and now it's falling you know, that way or that way, um, instead of down like most things normally fall. Um, that's great. It, uh, if it hits something, it does 3d8 of damage, which is actually not bad for a first level spell. Um, and at first the object can only weigh up to 5 pounds, but you can upcast it for an additional 5 pounds per spell level and an extra d8 of damage per spell level, so it's, pretty, it's a pretty good range damage option for us, actually. Um, Featherfall is another great first level spell. Uh, it lets you fall safe, safely to the ground from, you know, on high, simulating putting like a half lashing on yourself or whatever to let you drop slowly without hurting yourself. And, and by the way, I apologize. I'm, I'm probably going to screw up the, the terminology of the different lashings in the book. And um, they sometimes escape my memory exactly what the, uh, what the, what the nomenclature, the correct terminology is, but um, forgive me for that, for, for those of you who are big fans of the books. Anyway, um, you can, with, uh, with Featherfall, you can do the same to others, which is actually really great. Um, you know, infuse them with Stormlight and let them fall safely. Just know that, of course, Kaladin would probably have to touch the person falling, uh, instead of casting it at a 60-foot range, like, uh, you know, sp the spell uh, says we can do as it's written. At level 2, we are going Warlock. <clears throat> and we're going Warlock for most of the rest of this character's life. Um, some of us might have to broaden our paradigm on what it means to be a Warlock. Um, it's not necessarily evil or dark, right? What it means is that we have made a pact or an oath with an otherworldly being. And Kaladin absolutely makes a pact with an otherworldly creature, and it is where all of his power comes from, right? Um, that creature is the Spren, named Syl. And I think of all of the character classes, for this reason alone, it makes the most sense to, to call Kaladin a warlock. Um, now, as for who your otherworldly patron is, we're going to go Hexblade. And just so you know, I have not... Okay, I have done one 
Hexblade in any character build for the last four months. So if any of you guys give me crap about it, I'm going to reach through the internet, I'm going to smack you. Um, Alright, so Hexblade is fantastic here because first of all, both the Hexblade and later Pact of the Blade are the absolute best option for Kaladin thematically and for damage. We'll get into it in a second. Don't worry, I'm not taking Darkness and Devil Sight. Alright, now as a Hexblade, we get um, the Hex Warrior feature. It gives us the ability to use uh, Charisma as our attack stat. And it makes, a, it makes a lot more sense than strength, I think, for the spear, since Kaladin was never really described as a particularly strong character. He was agile and quick, um, but he also has a very strong personality. He's a great leader. Sometimes it just feels like he wills his way to victory. Um, so I think charisma is, is a really good uh, you know, thing to call how he's making his attacks here. Of course, we also get uh, Hexblade's Curse as, as a Hexblade. Basically, once per short rest, we can put our Hexblade's Curse on a target and then against that target until they die. Uh, every time we hit them, we get to add our proficiency bonus in damage, which um, is really nice. I think, you know, I'm, I'm fine to, to allow this, you know, we, we flavor it as Kaladin just being hyper-focused on his target, on his opponent. He's very often facing off in single combat against, you know, a very powerful opponent, whether it be Amaram or Zeth or whatever. Um, the nice thing about this, too, is that when you finish off your target, you get to self-heal. Uh, so that's on our checklist. We can check that box. Um, as far as spells go, the one that I want to mention in particular is Unseen Servant. I think that this makes a nice, uh, a nice substitute for Syl if Dancing Lights just doesn't do it for you. Um, in the books, Syl often doesn't show herself to anyone but Kaladin, so it makes sense that this servant would be invisible, as the spell description says, and it doesn't really attack or do anything. Syl really doesn't ever help Kaladin out in combat, other than become his weapon, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the downside with Unseen Servant is it only lasts an hour. Um, so, ultimately, Find Familiar might be a better option here. The problem with Find Familiar is it's a wizard spell, and I don't want to take any wizard levels, and I don't want to sacrifice any feats um, in order to get it. But if you really feel like you just have to do that in order to, to repl replicate your sill, you know, go for it. Um, the, you know, the thing is, like I said, sill doesn't really help Kaladin in combat much at all. And so it's very possible that you could just talk with your DM and say, look, like, I want to have this little companion that basically just interacts with me and nobody else can really see her. They probably think I'm crazy, right? Um, and she just kind of floats around and we interact and communicate, but but she doesn't give me any like in-game advantage. So would you be okay with that flavor-wise? And I, I would think that they probably would be. Um, but anyway, do what you have to do there. I've given you a few options. As for other spells, um, we do all Hexblades get access to the shield spell which is great. It doesn't count against our known Warlock spells. We just get it automatically. And I would be okay with using this as a reaction. It essentially lets you raise your armor class by five, potentially causing an attack to miss. And then your armor class stays at that level until your turn. 
Um, I, you know, I'd be okay with it. I think, you know, you can flavor it as uh, Kaladin just causing an attack to miss due to his supernatural speed, or maybe even putting a lashing on an enemy as they're making attack at him or on their weapon or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I think it's fine. Lightning Lure might work if you can flavor it as more of a sort of a lashing that you're somehow using to pull a target towards you instead of a whip made of lightning, like the spell description says. It pulls a target towards you and, and does some damage to him. Um, I don't know. That might be stretching a little. I, I might not use it, I don't think, but it's an option for you. Uh, Expeditious Retreat is the last one that I'll that I'll mention here. Um, it makes you move more quickly. I think that's, that's probably fair game. Uh, it lets you dash as a bonus action. Anyway, um, the rest of the spells, to me, don't really feel like they mesh much with the Windrunner's abilities. Windrunner being um, the class of Night Radiant that Kaladin belongs to. Call it a subclass. All right, at level 3, you are a Warlock 2. And Warlocks at level 2 get Eldritch Invocations, and they're just special, cool little abilities that are unique to Warlocks. Um, we get two Eldritch Invocations right now. And the two that I would recommend are Armor of Shadows. Um, this lets you cast Mage Armor on yourself at will without spending a spell slot or material components. And Mage Armor basically just puts your armor class at a 13 if you're not wearing any armor. So this is great for us. It really helps. Up until now, our, our armor class has only been a 13. So now it's a 16 with our dex bonus. Not amazing, but not terrible, right? Um, we can get by with that, especially with help from shield shield spell and stuff. And yeah, I, I, I'm fine. I can live with with mage armor. Kaladin's often using his, his martial prowess and help from his stormlight-infused abilities to avoid you know getting hit in combat and things, and I, I just look at mage armor in that same way. Uh, Fiendish Vigor is another invocation that um, is great that we can kind of used to simulate self-healing. Uh, it lets us cast the false life spell on ourselves at will without expending a spell slot, which basically lets us take on some temporary hit points. It's not exactly healing, but it's close enough in my book, right, to, to sort of bolster our defenses and in, uh, in combat and sort of heal ourselves, as it were, or make ourselves more durable thanks to the stormlight that we are infused with. Um, at level four, you are a Warlock 3, and we get our Pact Boon. And as I already alluded to, um, we want for our Pact Boon the Pact of the Blade. I think this is the best simulation of summoning a Shard Blade, or a, or a Shard Spear, or I guess a Sill Blade, as he tends to call it in the book. Um, you know, where Sill essentially becomes his weapon. Um, it's it's one of the things that most convinced me that we needed to go with a warlock, a hexblade warlock. Um, we're told from Pact of the Blade, you can use your action to create a packed weapon in your empty hand. You can choose the form that this melee weapon takes each time you create it. Um, and as we know, uh, Cal, sometimes he'll summon a spear, sometimes it will be a huge sword, sometimes even a little dagger. Um, and any other form of summoning a weapon in D&D rules that I could find, anyway, didn't give us quite the same degree of versatility that Pact of the Blade gives us. Um, 
because you know again it lets you it lets you decide what form the weapon takes when you summon it in your hand right um eldritch knights can bond with a weapon and then summon that specific weapon into their hand but they don't get to choose what form it takes it's just one weapon you know so there's there's things like that but i think pact of the blade most closely imitates the way kaladin can summon weapons into his hand in the book so anyway um, the nice thing about having Pact of the Blade also is that, uh, from a numbers perspective anyway, it lets us take as an invocation uh, improved Pact weapon, which makes that weapon that we summon a plus one weapon to hit and to damage. Um, and yes, you can summon a greatsword here if you wanted, uh, and now it could ca count sorry, as your Hexblade weapon, um, and you could use Charisma to attack with it. But just keep in mind that you'd be doing less damage overall, even though it's a two a great sword is a two d six, because we have the polearm master feat, and you know with a spear we we get that bonus action attack uh, with the blunt end of the spear, and it just ends up being more damage overall to fight with the spear. And frankly, Kaladin is more comfortable with the spear, generally speaking, throughout the book. So um, it makes sense to keep to keep going spear. Uh, we get second level spells at this level, and I'll mention a couple here that we might be able to work with. So, Hold Person lets you paralyze a humanoid if they fail a wisdom save, um, meaning if they're paralyzed, attacks against them have advantage, and any attacks that land automatically crit. So it's potentially a very powerful spell. I think you can, f you know, flavor it as you sort of infusing the character with, with Stormlight and causing them to stick to a wall or maybe stick to the ground or something like that, right? Um, it, again, it can be great for both control and burst damage. If you're going to, though, rely on Hold Person and use it regularly, I would probably consider taking a couple more levels in Sorcerer at some point, anyway, if not early on, uh, because then you'd get meta magic and you could take the uh, Quickened Spell option from meta magic and then cast Hold Person as a bonus action instead of as an action. And then you could make your attacks at least your regular action attacks uh, in that same turn and, and take advantage of having advantage and if you hit it crits um, otherwise you might cast hold person as an action on your turn and then on the enemy's turn they would get a chance to make a saving throw and potentially get out of being paralyzed and it didn't benefit you a lot other than controlling them for a round right um, so anyway that's if you're going to use hold person uh, the only other spell that I'll mention here is Spider Climb. Um, it lets you move along vertical surfaces and even even along ceilings, uh, just as though you had lashed yourself to a wall, or, or I mean, I guess done a done a lashing to make the wall down or the ceiling down, for that matter, uh, as Windrunners and Zeth often do when they're fighting in combat. Right. Um, at level five, you are a Warlock Four and we get our first ability score increase or feat. I would recommend bumping our charisma since it's what we use for attacking as well as for uh, our spells. Um, so now your charisma would be an 18. At level six, we are a warlock five and we get an additional invocation. So now we can have up to three invocations and I definitely recommend taking the thirsting blade invocation here. We, we couldn't get it until level five. Um, but basically, it lets us get two attacks on our turn 
just as though we had gotten the extra attack feature from you know one of the martial classes. Um, and so now we get three attacks on our turn, right? When we take the attack action, we get sharp end of the spear, sharp end of the spear, and then you get your butt action, um, which is our favorite action. So uh, we also get uh, third level spells, and I will mention two. First and foremost, fly, obviously. So check that box, we can fly now. Um, and uh, that's very important to any self-respecting Windrunner. And uh, we get Spirit Shroud. I'm gonna allow this spell and I'll explain why. So Spirit Shroud, as a bonus action, you cast it. It requires your concentration. And then um, you supposedly call, call forth Spirits of the Dead which flit around you for the spell's duration. I think we can flavor this as Windspren. So they're not, they're not Spirits of the Dead, they're Windspren. They flit around you in combat. And you know, this, this happens at several key moments in the book. Um, Kaladin gets surrounded by lots of Windspren that seem to come to his aid. They encourage him, they help him. Um, and, and, and by the end of the book, actually, by the end of book four, that is, uh, that's a sort of almost on-demand feature. Um, minor spoiler. So anyway, it lets you add a d8 of radiant damage to each attack that you make. Um, and it also slows down your enemies within 10 feet of you, almost as though they were buffeted by strong winds or kind of they have like a half lashing on them or something um, to keep them from, you know, moving the way that they want to move. Uh, every two levels that you upcast Spirit Shroud does an extra d8 of damage per hit. So as a fifth level spell, it would do 2d8, for example. Um, all right, let's do our first damage report. So assuming that we get three attacks in a turn, um, and we're using both hands to make those spear attacks, right, which we are because it's versatile, uh, and the spear gets a, is a plus one because of our uh, improved packed weapon. We have an 18 charisma. Uh, and you're using Spirit Shroud, um, and your target is is affected by Hexblade's Curse. I know that's not sustainable, right? I know that that's only one target per short rest. Um, I'm just I'm trying to show sort of what our Kaladin can do when he is fully infused in, in with Stormlight and attacking in full force um, against an enemy with an armor class of 10. You would be averaging 49 damage per round and against an enemy with an armor class of 15, it would be 37 damage per round. Not bad, not bad at all. Um, granted, this is only on your cursed target. Otherwise, your DPR is gonna be about six less per turn at this level, which is still pretty respectable. So at level seven, um, you know, at this point, I feel like we've really checked all of the boxes that were on our checklist as far as the, the powers that Kaladin has and needs in order to, you know, represent his character as written in the books. Um, so you've kind of got your core, you've got your core Kaladin. Uh, the question from here is, you know, what can we do to make him hit harder and still stay within the limits that we've set for ourselves and stay true to the character? Um, I think we stay with Warlock and that will become apparent as we go. So we are a Warlock 6. Um, at Hexblade level 6, you get a feature called Accursed Spectre, but sadly, I, I don't think we can use it. Um, you kill someone, 
and then you raise a specter from its corpse to fight alongside you. And I just can't find a good way to justify um, that being something that Kaladin could and would do. Uh, maybe you disagree. If so, let me know and give me your explanation. Um, you do also get another invocation at this level, which is great. Uh, Eldritch Mind is a favorite. It gives you advantage on your saves to maintain concentration. And we've got proficiency in, con in constitution saves now. We get advantage too. Uh, and that's great. We're using a lot of concentration spells, spirit shrouds, obviously, but others as well, fly and all of those. Um, so that's a big help. And I don't know why it wouldn't work for Kaladin to be super focused and you know, have that advantage. It doesn't seem outside of uh, the realm of sort of the limits that we've set for ourselves. So um, at level nine, you are a Warlock eight and we get another ability score increase or feat. And that is most welcome. I say we bump our charisma again and cap it at 20. So now, uh, yeah, that is, that is really good for us. So damage report. Uh, not much has changed since level six in our last damage report. Just one more charisma, well, one more plus to our charisma bonus, and uh, our charisma or our proficiency bonus went up, um, which helps our hexblade's curse as well. But so anyway, assuming our target is cursed uh, and they have a 10 armor class, we are doing 55 damage per round on average, and against a 16 armor class character, we are doing 44 damage per round. So um, we plateaued a little bit, but we're we're gonna get some bumps at level 10. We're a Warlock 9, and we get yet another invocation. And we have got a perfect one. Um, Ascendant Step. Uh, it was not available to us until level 9, or we would have taken it sooner. But it lets us cast Levitate on ourselves at will without expending a spell slot or material components. Um, it's not exactly at will flying. Well, it is, but you can only go 20 feet high into the air. Um, you know, it's totally on point. It's 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 a it's a it's a poor man's fly spell um, that really can be super useful in a lot of situations and simulate the way that Kaladin often will hover uh, both in and out of combat. It just looks really cool. Uh, so that is perfect for us. Also, we get fifth level warlock spells, um, and I can see a couple that you might want to consider. Hold monster is essentially the same as hold person, but it works on non-humanoids now as well um, so again I think if you flavor it as you know sticking somebody to a wall or to the ground it could it could work um, if uh, oh and and there is then another really interesting one um, that's great for RP if nothing else so contact other plane um, as written the spell says that you essentially contact a demigod and ask it up to five yes or no questions. Um, you have to make an intelligence check, and if you fail it, you are insane until you finish a long rest. <laughs> um, and you don't have a very high intelligence score, most likely, so use at your own risk. But I could totally see this being similar to times uh, in the book when Kaladin speaks with the Stormfather, right? Um, as you all know, if you're fans of the book, um, the Stormfather is a splinter, essentially, of honor. And honor is the being that, until recently, most Rosharans uh, worshipped as the Almighty. So the Stormfather is 100% a demigod and, and works perfectly here. Um, 
Keep in mind, this works as a ritual spell, so it doesn't require a spell slot if you've got 10 minutes to cast it. And, um, you know, you could really wait until night, until you're done with your day's battle, go out into the high storm, um, and, you know, cast this ritual spell and try to converse with the Stormfather. And if you fail your intelligence check and you go insane, then you just go to bed and hope you don't get ambushed uh, until morning, and then you'll wake up sane again. Um, ultimately, I'm assuming that we're going to be using our 5th level spell slots to upcast Spirit Shroud so that every attack now will do 2d8 on hit. Um, at level 11, we are, we are a Warlock 10, uh, and Hexblades get a cool feature called Armor of Hexes. It's very nice for our survivability. If our cursed target hits us with an attack, we can use our reaction. So. You can't, if you, you can't use shield spell and this. You kind of have to choose, right? But especially if you don't have spell slots or if shield spell isn't going to get you there, maybe they crit you. Um, we can use our reaction, roll a d6, and if you get a 4 or higher, so 50% chance, the attack misses, regardless of what the attack roll was, which is really great, again, especially on those critical hits. Um, I don't know why we couldn't use this, right? Kaladin can be hard to pin down in a fight, um, he's he's squirrely and he's very resistant to damage and all of those things. So um, that's great for us. Level 12, we're a Warlock 11, uh, and we finally get a third level spell slot. Uh, up until now, we've still only had two Warlock spell slots. Fortunately, we've had some Sorcerer spell slots um, for Shield and Catapult and things. And of course, uh, you know, since we are a warlock, our spell slots reset. The warlock spell slots reset on a short rest, um, but still, it's nice to have three. Uh, we also get our first Mystic Arc Arcanum. 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 Um, this basically lets you take a sixth level warlock spell and cast it once per long rest without expending a spell slot. Uh, which is a good thing because uh, from here on out our, our spell slots cap at fifth level so we don't have any sixth level we, spell slots right so basically it's like other casters who get one sixth level spell slot once per day um until very late game i guess the only one i can really see working the only sixth level spell i can really see working within our uh, character restrictions here is investiture of the wind um it requires concentration and for 10 minutes Ranged weapon attacks have disadvantage on you, very similar to when Kaladin's doing his bridge runs and somehow all of those arrows seem to just be missing him. Uh, you can fly, but then also you can create this little, essentially a little tornado um, from like, I think a 60 foot range and it essentially pushes targets and does damage to them. I'm not sure we could use this unless unless maybe you cast it around yourself and you were like touching the targets and sort of infusing them and thereby pushing them away and, and somehow they're taking damage. Maybe they hit a wall or something. I don't know. Maybe you could get away with flavoring it that way. Otherwise, I don't know that it really works. Um, definitely not from range anyway, because after all, sure, he's a windrunner by name, but windrunners don't really control the wind so much as fly with it. They run with the wind, right? Um, at level 13, you are a Warlock 12, and we get another ability score increase or feat. I personally would be, I think, looking for a way to increase survivability if I were playing this character in-game. Um, 
maybe via the tough feat that gives you two hit points per level, which would be a nice bump for us, uh, or maybe a bump to our dexterity to increase our armor class and other things. Um, of course, if we're optimizing for damage, <laughs> we should probably take the piercer feat uh, because when you make a piercing attack, uh, an attack that does piercing damage, and our spears do, um, it lets us reroll once per turn uh, the damage die on uh, on one of those attacks, which is a damage bump, and also when we crit, we get to roll an extra damage die, so similar to having brutal critical, brutal critical, for example. Um, and so, you know, again, we're trying to push the limits of our damage. I'll assume that we took the piercer feat here when we're crunching numbers. Again, if it were me, I probably wouldn't do it. I'd probably take tough, I think, but you do what you want to do. And we're exploring the limits of the possible, as always. Um, most importantly here at Warlock 12, we get yet another invocation, and one of the best ones available to us comes at level 12, the Life Drinker invocation, which lets us now double our charisma bonus in damage when we hit with a packed weapon. So now, instead of doing plus 5 to damage from our charisma, we do plus 10 to damage with our charisma. Uh, plus 1, because we have improved packed weapon, of course, by now, hopefully, you've got a magic spear that you're using instead, um, and using that invocation for something else. So, damage report at level 13. Against an enemy with a 10 armor class, you are averaging, assuming they're, they're cursed, Hexblade's cursed, you're averaging 88 damage per round. And against an enemy with a 17 armor class, you're averaging 71 damage per round. And that is quite good. It's a little bit less if you don't have Hexblade's Curse up, but it's still pretty decent. At level 14, you are a Warlock 13, and we get our 7th level Mystic Arcanum. Um, the only 7th level spell that I could really see kind of sort of working, but not really, <laughs> would be etherealness. So you basically, you cast this spell and you step into the ethereal plane where it overlaps. You see where I'm going here with our current plane. And it would be very similar to, I think, um, stepping into Shadesmar like they do in the books, which is another sort of plane of existence, but whose geography sort of lines up with um, the Rosharan one. Uh, of course, the big problem here is that Windrunners in the book don't innately have the ability to do that unless they are um, at an oath gate, as far as I know. Um, so maybe if your friend Shallan shows up and takes you to Shadesmar, you can you cast a spell, summon Shallan, and she ports you into Shadesmar. I don't know. Um, cool if you can work it out. Talk it over with your DM if you really want to try and do this. Um, one bummer is that since we don't technically have 7th level spell slots, we can't upcast Spirit Shroud to a 7th level spell. Um, so we're sort of stuck at 2d8, despite the fact that we have a 7th level spell that we can cast. Um, problem with Warlocks. At level 15, we are a Warlock 14, and we get our ultimate Hexblade ability, and it's a good one. Uh, the Master of Hexes. So now, when the creature who is cursed by our Hexblade's curse dies, um, instead of it ending and we heal, we can, as a bonus action, transfer it to another target. 
um, and continue to receive that plus uh, damage on each hit as per our proficiency bonus, right? Um, again, we don't we don't get HP back every time until the very last one dies, and you know we're no longer transferring it. Then we'd heal from from that final one, but uh, it does make our damage a lot more sustainable. Now now we get that damage for an entire combat encounter as opposed to just one target per short rest, right? Um, at level 16, I think if we're still playing the game at this point, um, it, it might be time to leave Warlock behind and to focus a little more on our martial skill more fully. So I want to take a couple of fighter levels. At, at, I like fighter for, for a number of reasons. Um, one, we get the great weapon fighting style, and that lets us re-roll ones and twos uh, on our weapon attacks that use when, when we make an attack holding a weapon with two hands, which we are. Um, so that's a nice damage bump. And keep in mind that that, that stacks essentially with the piercer feat because you get to re-roll once per turn the damage that you roll uh, with, with the spear attack, with a piercing attack. Um, so that can really kind of bring our average uh, up at least once per turn and, and really on every attack with the great weapon fighting style. We get second wind. Uh, which is a fantastic and perfect, you know, self-heal ability uh, that any self-respecting Windrunner would, or Night Radiant, I guess, uh, would would have, right? It's a D10 of healing plus your fighter levels. It's not a ton, but it's, it's something. Um, and then another thing you might want to consider, and frankly, you might want to consider this much earlier uh, in your character's lifespan, um, this is a semi-big spoiler warning for the end of Book 4, but Kaladin does eventually get the ability to have shard plate, or I don't even know what you call it. It's not, it's, it's the progenitor to shard plate, I suppose. Um, and so wearing plate armor wouldn't, after all, necessarily be outside the realm of possibility of what Kaladin is capable of doing, if you were playing Kaladin as he exists by the end of book four and not, you know, the end of book two or whatever, like I said at the beginning of the, of the video. Um, I mean, the problem is, of course, mundane plate mail doesn't really replicate what shard plate does, which, for those who don't know, is think of it as like magical plate mail armor. It's super dur durable, gives you increased strength and, uh, and absorbs all kinds of damage and stuff like that. Um, it, it comes close. It's better than, than nothing, obviously. Um, and, of course, it would greatly improve our survivability. So if this is something that you're comfortable with and you like, you know, I would consider taking it much earlier, uh, maybe even starting at Fighter 1 so that you could get it. Um, but again, depending on sort of what version of Kaladin you want to play, right? Um, the problem, one big problem with it is because of our low strength score, plate mail has a, a 15 strength requirement, and if you don't meet that requirement, you can wear it if you're proficient in it, but it, you suffer a 10-foot move penalty per turn. Um, so we wouldn't be able to move very well, which doesn't feel like you're really wearing plate, or sorry, shard plate, right? It's supposed to have the opposite effect. Um, so that's a bummer. Find some mithril plate if you can, and then that is gone, and now it's magic armor, and it, it more closely replicates um, what shard plate is like in the books anyway. So here's a perfect example of something you can maybe discuss with your dungeon master and say, 
this is my character, this is what they should be able to do, this is my arc, this is what I want to be able to accomplish, do you think we could maybe work in finding some mithril plate along the way, and, you know, and then when I find it, maybe I take a level in fighter, you know, that's something that you can work out. Maybe you don't like to create spoilers for yourself in your own D&D campaign, I guess, I don't know, but anyway, definitely an option and something I would encourage. At level 17, I would take Fighter 2. Um, you might as well, that way you can pick up Action Surge uh, for some nice on-demand burst damage. Again, Action Surge, once per short rest, you can basically get two actions in a turn. Um, so you'd get some extra attacks or you know do other extra things if you need another action, but it does a great job of emulating Kaladin at sort of the peak of his fighting efficiency when he's trying to take down his nemesis at, in, during the climax of, of one of the books or something, right? Um, final damage report at level 17. Against an enemy with a 10 armor class, you would be averaging uh, 97 damage per round. And uh, against an enemy with a 18 armor class, it would be 78. And that is pretty sustainable, um, at least for an entire combat encounter. Um, you almost broke the centennial barrier. Congratulations. So, final thoughts. Um, as usual, with these builds where I kind of intentionally shackle myself, as it were, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised by uh, the results. Um, despite the lines that we drew around our character that we had to stay in between, you know, look at the graph in the spreadsheet um, for this episode. If you, if you check, if you check the, the one for this episode, I actually put both um, the numbers as they are against uh, a cursed opponent and then a non-cursed opponent. And then when I compare, you know, this build against other sustained damage builds that I've done, I use the non-cursed numbers until level 17 when you're able to essentially have curse up for an entire um, combat round, uh, combat encounter, sorry. Uh, and so doing that, um, even then, this character still falls quite comfortably at the upper end of tier two for sustained damage builds. Um, third place in, in tier two, which is, which is really quite nice and, and quite powerful. Again, keeping in mind that these are against all other builds that I've sort of tried to optimize for, for damage, right? So even even last place in tier two, I think, is pretty good compared to, you know, your sword and board fighter or, you know, whatever. Um, so anyway, better than I expected. Uh, and that seems to usually be the case with, with these kinds of things, uh, which, which is great. Um, one thing I'll suggest, if you and your DM are comfortable with this, um, I would consider maybe trying to use a halberd instead of a spear um you know chop off the blade and and just use the pointy end of the halberd for your attacks um if you can get away with that you know make it a little more pointy and a little more a little less blady and and then you would have reach um you'd get a d10 instead of a d8 it would still qualify for polearm master and of course you could take the great weapon master feat and get that nice um extra 10 damage per hit at a minus five to attack. Um, I didn't do it here because it felt like I was maybe bending things a wee bit too much. I don't know that I can assume that you and or your DM would be comfortable with that. And frankly, since we didn't have a reliable source of advantage, um, you know, Great Weapon Master is fantastic at low enemy armor classes, 
but it's a little less fantastic once you get into the mid and upper uh, armor classes, you know, without advantage. So anyway, I, uh, I decided against it ultimately, but it's an option. There are a lot of other ways that you could try to recreate Kaladin in D&D. Um, I looked at a ton. <laughs> More than I w wish that I would have, almost, in hindsight. Um, Oath of Devotion Paladin is super on point thematically, uh, but their skill set and their spell list didn't really get us what we needed, I didn't think. I mean, I guess you could take three levels until you got that oath, but it just didn't really do a lot for us other than feel sort of like a Knight Radiant, you know what I mean? Um, I considered going Bladesinger, as I'm sure some of you in the comments are probably already saying. Uh, you know, Shadow Blade makes a decent uh, simulation of summoning a weapon into your hand. Um, you'd, you'd need to flavor it as a spear, probably, instead of a one-handed blade. I don't know, a Blade of Shadow just felt wrong. For, to me for, for, for a Sil Blade. Um, you can't use two weapons to attack with it, really. Um, and I don't know, the, the, the sort of bonding with the otherworldly being to get your powers and the improved sort of versatility that you could summon any weapon with Pact of the Blade um, that we got from Warlock just felt, just felt better, more on point to me. Um, I even looked at a, like a Graviturgist Wizard because they get a lot of sort of like effect gravity type things that, that do a pretty decent job of simulating lashings. The problem is you'd have to get to level 10 in Graviter just before you got the really good ones and then we're really forsaking all of our martial skills and abilities. Um, I promised an alternate build. I actually wrote up show notes for, for this build and then ultimately scrapped it at the end because for a number of reasons. Um, but I still think that it could work if you don't like the, the Hexblade route. Um, I would suggest going Monk 1, start start as a monk, like Kaladin started humbly, as all good um, <laughs> heroes in epic fantasy novels do. Um, but you get some nice things from Monk, you get, um, you get unarmored defense, so it would bump our AC nicely. Um, among other things, you get, you know, a bonus action unarmed strike attack, um, which is as powerful as the, the butt action of a spear. Um, but anyway, so, so you wouldn't have to take the polearm master feet, I guess, is what I'm saying. Um, but then Monk 1 and into Fighter, um, and Fighter, specifically Eldritch Knight Fighter, doing that... Um, with probably a feat along the way for Magic Initiate Wizard to get a spell or two that you wouldn't otherwise get from Eldritch Knight. Um, I think can check all the boxes for us. We'll eventually be able to fly uh, and, and you know things like that. Um, so yeah, I would say Monk into Eldritch Knight. Um, essentially at the end of the day, we would be tankier because Monks can, um, can they can they can essentially choose a monk weapon, and you know it's going to be your spear. And now you get to use dexterity to make your attacks with that instead of strength, um, and that works for Kaladin, I think. And then you keep putting points into dexterity, and it bumps your armor class higher and higher. Fighters get more more um, feats and ability score increases and uh, they get more hit points per level as well, so you're just gonna be a little tankier. Your damage is gonna be like half. And ultimately, I think that's probably the main reason why I decided to scrap it, because even though it fit, I thought Warlock was, Hexblade especially, was both more on point thematically, 
but just did so much more damage at the cost of survivability, admittedly. And so, you know, you choose what you think uh, is, is closer to what you would want to play in game and, and go for it. Um, I'm not sure if I'll ever do this again, uh, where I take a, a character from fiction and uh, try and recreate them in D&D. Um, the square peg round hole thing is, is troubling. But more important than that, I think, um, you know, D&D is really more, I, th I feel, a, it's about telling your own story. And so I, I tend to kind of shy away from trying to tell someone else's. Um, but you know what? You might have really liked it. It could be really fun for a one-shot. Um, I think at the very least, maybe as, as a non-Kaladin Windrunner, um, in a homebrew sort of Roshar world, that is something I think I would be interested in playing. Um, and, and this could serve as a nice template for that. But, but above all, I would love to know your thoughts on it. You know, would you like to see more of this kind of thing um, where we're t sort of taking characters from fiction and trying to recreate them in D&D? Or if it's not really your cup of tea, that's totally okay. Let me know, um, please. You can, you can do it nicely. <laughs> but do let me know. Um, and if anyone knows Brandon Sanderson or has access to um, his his ear or his inbox, man, I'd love to get his feedback on this. Um, so anyway, maybe we maybe we tweet at him while we're tweeting at uh, at Jeremy Crawford. That's the show for the day. Um, you guys are fantastic. Thank you so much for your support. Don't forget to subscribe and like and share and comment and all the things. I hope you have a fantastic day. Love you so much, and we will see you soon.